Do you guys remember the old days when Stephen Covey's stuff was really big? Remember that? I mean, you might be too young. That's okay, too. If not, it's kind of worth looking up. And he had a book that was really quite famous and pretty important called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You probably remember this. I mean, it's it's not been that long ago. And one of his habits, which I think is a really important one to think about, was the notion that you should begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Hey everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Podcast. How are you? Well, another week has flown by. And that's kind of what weeks do. They sort of fly by. Hopefully, this was a super productive week for you. I mean, I don't know what productive means. But hopefully you got a bunch of really cool stuff done, and it was amazing. And now you're sitting there kind of smugly thinking, wow, I really got a bunch of stuff done. I am a stinking genius. I am so smart and so witty and so effective that I made changes happen. Chances are relatively high you don't feel that, but if you do, good for you. I'm happy for you. I mean, you know, I can go a whole day and then think at the end, what did I do today? I must have done something because I was busy all day. But what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? And uh, eventually, you know, I'll come around to stuff. I mean, uh, it's not that I'm sorely depressed or living in some kind of blue funk. It's not like that at all. It's just the world seems to sort of rise up and overcome whatever plan you made. And you spend an awful lot of time doing things that you need to do before you do the things that you really need to do. That makes sense? Yeah, probably. It, it kind of does. And and that's part of the journey. Now, I think that's an incredibly important jumping off place for our discussion because I don't know how you're doing, but it's very interesting to me how um, the world has really become a, a new place, a kind of a different place. And so we're having to look at things much differently. And in a way, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, and you will. I mean, I get lots of feedback. I think it's kind of exciting because it has, it's allowed us to sort of pole vault, jump into creating change in a way that we haven't been able to before because we can always sort of lean on the fact that the world's different. You know, since the pandemic, XXX, whatever follows that, we can really build on the fact that change is normal uncertainty is now identified recognizable and there even though it was always there all along you knew that too but now people are really engaging in a much different way to understand what next looks like and that's kind of a big part of what we should talk about and i I wanted to spend some time really talking about this notion of leadership because i think that notion of leadership is pretty powerful and, and it's got to be if not already, it's got to be hitting your radar screen because so many changes have happened. I mean, I see it all the time, and it's really interesting. Where once we counted on sort of the adaptive capacity that experienced people brought into the workplace, right? You remember that. What's happening now is that, in fact, there's a shortage of those experienced people in the workplace for a bunch of reasons. I mean, there's a ton of reasons. 
But what's happening is the workforce is different now than it was maybe even five years ago. And I think time always happens and change is constant. So I'm not stunned by the fact that the workforce is different. I'm stunned by the fact that it seems that we've sort of entered into a new time, a new paradigm. There's a, there's a new way to look at and understand work. And you see it in things like, you know, for sure you see it in things like retention, right? And, and how retention numbers have really changed. I mean, you guys live in this all the time. And because retention's higher, then training's less effective. And so we're rethinking how we do training because experienced workers are, to a great extent, moving on, either within the organization or outside the organization. Things like apprenticeships, on-the-job training, those are kind of changing too. It's really an interesting time to sort of look at how work has changed. And I, I think about this a lot. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm guessing you do. I just don't get to talk about it very much in, unless I'm, you know, at some fancy meeting or something. And then I just kind of just espouse things and try to sound pretty intellectual. But as normal, um, I'm about an inch deep and a mile wide. As opposed to being a mile deep and an inch wide. I'll never be an inch wide. That's not going to happen. But this idea of change is is becoming really pretty important. And it's definitely something we're thinking about. I, I don't know about you. And you see it everywhere. It's not just, like I see it in my life life. You know, I've, I've kind of recovered from the stolen bicycle. So that's, you know, time marches on and cures all wounds, et cetera, et cetera. I replaced it. I actually replaced it with, I, I have a bicycle acquisition problem now because now I have more bicycles than I need. So anyone out there needing a bike, uh, check with me. I think I'm going to have some that I'm going to have to let go. There you go. That's just out there. But that, that whole changing paradigm is really interesting just because you see it everywhere. I mean, you see it everywhere. All things are different. And so that's kind of a big part of it. And I actually think that's an exciting thing to think about, which has sort of set me up a little bit to have the conversation I want to have with you guys today. But before I do, I should take a half a second and talk about the fact that in March, I think it's the 7th through the 11th or something. I'll have to look at those dates. But it's, it's that week in March that has either the 7th near it or on it. We're going to do an open workshop, and it's going to be big fun. In fact, there's a whole big podcast being put together now talking with the people who are going to be a part of the workshop. But it looks like we're going to do – it's a four-day workshop. You don't have to go to all four days, although – It'd be really fun, and I'm pretty sure we'll have good break food. I've just kind of always put that in the forefront of my mind. But we're going to have this little open workshop so anyone can go to it because there's been a lot of requests to do that. And um, it's pretty small. We're going to limit the size as much as we can. And believe it or not, we're going to do it in Santa Fe, New Mexico for a lot of reasons. One is that um, I really had a difficult time finding places to have it because of the changing world. So, like, little tiny meetings like this are harder to schedule because nobody's got enough catering people or they don't have enough this or that. I mean, there's always a bunch of issues there. So, I worked it out. We'll be at the Hotel Santa Fe, which is kind of cool. It's native-owned. It's a very cool property, and it's in downtown Santa Fe. It'll be really fun. And it's four days. I know for sure two of those days are going to be kind of a deep-dive fundamentals class. 
So if you have people who need that, that's a pretty good opportunity. And then the other two days are going to be, I'm sure we're going to talk about psychological safety because Martha Acosta wants to talk about that. And then I'm pretty sure Bob's going to talk about learning. I think Mark Yeston's going to talk. So it's going to be kind of a, a good crowd. Just kind of pencil it in. There's more details on that as we progress. I mean, that's, that's not the, uh, that's not the promotion. That's just the, I'm just talking about it. Cause I think that's, that's something people really wanted to know. And so if I can help people out by having this, then I'm all for it. I'll do it. It's no problem. And you can find out more about it. Just kind of hang loose and see what happens. And that's where all the great details will come on that. So that's aside. That's a part of what's going to take place. Really what's interesting today is I, I sort of want to talk about the world and how it moves forward. And that's probably what we should do now. So you know how we talk all the time about how the world sort of moves? And that's kind of a good conversation. I mean, it's a, it's a fun conversation to have. And we talk a lot about sort of in the David Woods notion, uh, the, the notion of building resilient, robust and resilient systems. Because robust and resilient, at least for this conversation, should probably always kind of go together. And that we talk about the fact that what you really want to do is build a system that you know will fail because every system slowly failing. But what's good about that is when it fails, it fails with enough capacity that it gracefully extends itself. It fails gracefully. Thank you, David Woods. It fails safely. These are all the things we've talked about. We talked about this a million times. You, you probably talk about it all the time too. So we understand sort of the basic premise around this idea. Where this becomes sort of a challenge for us is how shockingly different that is from the traditional paradigm that leaders carry with them as they move up and through organizations. Because leaders come to the table for the most part with the belief that what they really need to do is prevent all bad things from happening. And I mean, I get that. I was at a meeting just a, recently, great meeting, super cool dudes and dudettes. We had a really good time. And the senior most leader of that organization said, um, Todd, you say that all accidents are not preventable. And I said, yeah, I, I did say that. That was a part of the conversation we had. And he looked at me and he said, I disagree with you. And I said, well, you know, let's talk about this. Because I thought he was going to go down the old, every accident is preventable. And then I thought I was going to get to use, use the old lottery joke. Every winning lottery number is knowable after you pick the numbers. I mean, you know, kind of the power of retrospect, that whole conversation. But then he looked at me and he said, I think probably every accident is preventable. And then he paused and said, unfortunately, we won't prevent every accident. So I've thought about this, but, you know, hmm, scratching, because it was great at the time, really powerful. And you could sort of tell that was the moment where that leader kind of, it, he, he changed. He engaged in a different way. And I actually think that's a really good thing to say. And uh, it's thoughtful, and it definitely provokes thought from his senior leadership team, because you could watch that happen. They all got a little sweaty. Their palms got a little sweaty. They got kind of a nervous brow, you know, oh, the bosses, where, where'd this come from? That kind of thing. But what's amazing to me about that is that that really is pretty symbolic of the fact that leaders come in with the belief that their job is to keep everyone safe. 
right? I mean, the, the, in fact, that's how we measure them. That's how bonuses are given out to those people. I mean, there's a, that, that's when the board of directors ask them questions, that's what they ask them. That's, that's a kind of a big question. And what's interesting is that's sort of established a false reality. And it's the reality that somehow the world will be perfect. And that if we have perfect people in a perfect system, well, then we'll have perfect outcomes, right? The problem with that is that it's fundamentally not true because we don't have perfect people, enough said there, and we don't have perfect systems. Oh, yeah, that's true. And so we're not going to actually have the components necessary to create perfection. We've had this conversation a bunch of times. We don't have to belabor it. But I think it's pretty important to sort of build that ground because as a leader, the most important thing a leader can do, the most important thing a leader can do is to understand that what they manage is really the end game. They don't really manage the process that gets them to the end game, begin with the end in mind, right? What they manage is that end game. And so part of the challenge is is to help them understand really that what they want to build is a system that knows it's not perfect, a system that knows it's filled with imperfect people, a system that knows there's always going to be lots of variation. And that system still has the ability to succeed. And so one of the ways to sort of phrase that, and and I think it's kind of a helpful tool that you can share with your leader. And so that makes this conversation kind of a good conversation is that they get the chance to either choose the failure they want. And if they don't take the chance to choose the failure they want, they're going to get the failure they get. That makes sense. Because I want you to think about it. Because that, that's actually a pretty powerful way to have the conversation we just had and we've had a million times and takes a long time to sort of shift thinking. Because leaders really build a system where they can choose the failure they want. And if they don't do that, then they've sort of abandoned choice. They've thrown their arms up and they're going to get the failure they get. And I want you to think about this as you drive down the road or walk the dog or whatever it is you're doing right now. Cause I'm sure it's very cool. Like hopefully my fantasy is somebody's icing a cake. That would be the perfect, perfect way to listen to a podcast. But that idea that you can choose the failure you want or you get the failure you get, that's fundamental in shifting that notion of how we manage high consequence critical systems. Is we build systems that have redundancy, they have resilience. Because when we build redundancy and resilience into a system, then we get the type of failure we want, which is a failure that we can learn from, that has very little consequence to people's health, to the environment, to production, to operations. It allows the system to fail, and when it fails, it fails safely, it fails smartly. But that doesn't happen accidentally. I mean, that, that's not an accident. That happens because we made some choices to get the failure that we want. And it goes without saying, so of course, let's say it, that if we don't make those decisions, then what we get is the failure we get. And now you can start to 
fill in the blank. Because that failure is going to be a high consequence failure with cost. It's going to cost people or treasure or operations or time or equipment or skill or trust or stability. And those costs, they're expensive. And it takes a while to sort of recover from those. And it's painful. And people are hurt. Lots of people, not just the people who get hurt, but lots of people within the organization are hurt. And when you think about that, and that's kind of what we do, I mean, we talk about this all the time, that's really a fundamental understanding, not in the fact that variability happened and we had a failure, that's normal. It's a fundamental understanding that when that variability happened and the failure took place, it happened in a system that did not have the tolerance to accept that outcome. We got the failure we got. That's how leaders play a really important role in creating success. Because what leaders do is really help build a process that allows them to get the type of failure they want. And to do that, well, some things have to happen. First and foremost is we have to give the latitude and understand that systems will fail. I think about this all the time. We don't actually manage perfect systems or perfect processes. And in fact, if you really push me, here's what I'll tell you. We've long counted on the adaptive experienced worker to get our little butt out of the ringer when something happens before it has consequence. And what's happening, and we talked about this kind of at the beginning of the podcast, is that the world has changed a bunch, like weirdly a bunch. And that reliance on that adaptive experienced worker sort of saving the day just in time, that's going away. It's not going to go away. I mean, there's always going to be that. But it's to the point where we trust that that's what keeps our organizations functioning. And what we don't realize is that that part of that process has always been kind of fragile and brittle. And now, because the world is so different, it's much more fragile and much more brittle. How many places do you have where you have green supervisors managing green workers? Just a question. I mean, you don't have to answer because no one's listening. But that tells you right there that the ability to sort of solve that problem kind of went away. And you can't really rely on that. I mean, because that's like flipping a coin. And a lot of the processes you guys manage are way more important, way more significant, and are desire, need, demand much more than just a coin flip to ensure that they're stable. And so part of what I think about, and I bet you do too, is how do we get our organizations to really begin with the end in mind, to ask different questions. And part of what we have to do is bust through this old, very sacred belief that the system's perfect and that we hire people to be custodians of a perfect system. Because in reality, that's just not true. The system's not perfect and people aren't perfect. And we don't hire people to manage perfect systems. We hire people to adaptively zig and creatively zag 
in order to manage the variation that happens every day, all day long in the work they do. And one of the ways we can help shift that, well, one of the ways is we can tell our leadership that the way you think about reliability is wrong. But what I've found is that that's not often the best conversation to have, and they're not really very interested in hearing you say that. I mean, it's, it's kind of probably offensive, right? I mean, it probably makes them kind of angry. So if that doesn't work, then we think of all these kind of elaborate ways to show them. And we talk about it all the time. Change the way you do investigations. Put a lot of emphasis in learning. Talk to the people who do the work. All those things are amazing. They're really important. But ultimately, what I think we want to ask our leadership is that fundamental question. Do you want to get the failure you want, or are you just satisfied with getting the failure you get? And that ability to sort of at least kind of theoretically establish some control over uncertainty, which is exactly what we're saying, that's pretty attractive. In fact, I'll say it, that's attractive to leaders at every level. What leaders want to do, what we all want to do, but leaders are especially keen on this, is we want to reduce uncertainty as much as we possibly can. Because by reducing uncertainty, we've increased certainty. And when certainty's high, then what's supposed to happen, happens. So part of our challenge, and this is really sort of part one of this conversation, you'll see as this progresses, part of our challenge is the very important realization that we can't start to get better until we change the fundamental understanding of what it is we want to do in order to improve. And so that said, and that's exactly what we're saying, maybe one of the cool ways to do that is to ask your manager that very question. Do you want the failure you want or are you going to be shocked by the failure you get? And once you start that conversation, then the next thing they're going to say is, okay, well, what do we need to do differently? And we'll talk about that because that's important. But ultimately, that's where the discussion about increasing capacity and tolerance in the system, building in resilience, building in sticky questions, looking at controls, those all become really an important part of the conversation. And what's amazing about this, you tell me because you'll know better than I do, but what's amazing about this is this really is kind of a much different way to shift that idea from the old notion to the new notion. And it does it in a way that it's probably less offensive. It's, it's less challenging and probably more effective in actually giving leaders back the power they have as leaders. And I love this at so many levels. Well, I must. It's the reason we're talking about it today, right? I love this because, because it really helps emphasize the very important role leadership plays in creating safe, stable, healthy, effective organizations. Now, we all know that's true, but this kind of puts them back in the driver's seat in sort of a good way. And so if they're really interested in getting the failure they want, then they're going to ask questions about, well, what happens when it fails? What do we count on? What controls are we going to lean on? What's our plan? What's our plan B? Right? And they're going to ask those questions. And every single one of those is exactly the type of question 
we want leaders to ask. I mean, that's really powerful stuff. And that makes a huge difference. So that's good. I mean, that's, that's the conversation. One little teeny two-part question. Do you want the failure you want? Or are you going to be happy with the failure that you get? And thinking about that for you and for me, I'm, I'm right there with you. That's a pretty powerful way to sort of exercise the brain to have a whole new conversation. But what it does is it kind of meets Stephen Covey's test. Begin with the end in mind. Now, that holds for success, absolutely. But it also probably ought to be a part of the discussion of what are we going to do when this fails? What do we count on? Who do we count on? to ensure that when this fails, we're ready for the action. So that's the pod. What do you think? It's just a little conversation, right? I mean, no big deal. But I'm going to try to do a, a series. I think there's going to be three of them. But we'll see because who knows how that's going to end out. But there's going to be three that are specifically directed at conversations we have with leaders. Because here's one thing we know. When leadership improves, the entire organization improves. And so let's talk, at least for three podcasts, on some tools and some ideas and some notions that we can use directly to help influence leaders to get them to ask new questions or to be humble, to be curious, to meet all the tests that good leaders need to meet in order to be successful in a highly complex world, a world that's changing faster than you know. Because the one thing I'll tell you, your leaders probably won't tell you this, is leadership uncertainty at the highest level of your organization is probably as high as it's been in a long, long time. And when uncertainty's high, there's a desperate need to sort of create control. And there's a couple ways to create control. You can go back to the old ways, hammer, carrot, stick, all connected. Or you can actually look forward and think, what can we do differently? How can we use this time? How can we leverage this time to actually facilitate some kind of positive change to make the world a better place? That is a cool idea. So what do you think? Pretty good little podcast, don't you think? I think so too. So that's it. That's what we had to talk about. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That seems really important. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. <laughs>